Next week, we're going to have a baptism service after a second service. Uh, these two are going to be baptized. If you've not been baptized yet as a believer, let me know. Let Pastor John know, and we'll get you set up for next week. I know a lot of you are been traveling in and out. Some of you are new here this morning. So let me kind of give you a heads up. Uh, generally, what we do at our church, we go through books of the Bible. We start beginning, go through the end. We start uh, New Testament, Old Testament, go back and forth, old, new, old, new. Uh, right now, we're in the middle of doing something a little bit different. We're in the third week of a six-week pilot series on the book of Proverbs. In the fall, we're going to go through the whole book. But for now, I am just trying to get a handle on Proverbs. And so we're testing out different passages. And the focus of this pilot is preaching Christ in Proverbs. You may think, well, I've read Proverbs before. I don't remember seeing Jesus in the Proverbs. What we're talking about is we preach Proverbs like Jesus has shown up on the scene. And if you want to know what that means, well, stick with us. I will explain to you a little bit later. Our first uh, sermon was from chapter 2 on the transcendence of wisdom. And then our second sermon was on Proverbs 31 last week on the embodiment of wisdom in the excellent life. And today we're going to be in chapter 3. Now chapter 3 is part of a nine-chapter introduction before we start getting to those one-liners you know, that you're familiar with in Proverbs. We have a nine-chapter introduction, and chapter 3 is a part of that. This is where the father is addressing the son and giving him incentives and reasons to pursue wisdom. All right? You want some incentives? Here we go. Let's stand. I'll read this passage. 3, 1 through 12. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves. As a father, the son, in whom he delights. You may be seated. Our world is made up of incentives. You're in school, you work hard. Chances are you're going to get a good grade for your hard work. If you're a job and you work hard, the incentive to be when you're going to give a good review and maybe you will get a raise. If you work out, you'll look better, probably feel better. If you eat fruits and vegetables, you'll be living a healthier lifestyle. If you're nice to others, kind to others, gentle to others, maybe they'll be nice and kind and, and gentle back 
to you. There's a lot of incentives in this world where you do the right thing and chances are something good will happen back to you. But have you ever thought about incentives in relation to God? That if you do the right thing, walking His will, obey His commandments, then in turn, He will bless you. He will give you the incentive, you obey me and I will bless you and I will give you these rewards. Well, chapter 3 of Proverbs 1 through 12 is in the form of an incentive structure. Did Did you catch that? All the odd verses talk about what you should do and the even verses talk about what God will do in response. Did you see it? Like verse 1 says, keep my commandments. If you do, peace and long life. Verse 3 says, let love and faithfulness fill out of you. And then sentence at verse 4, you'll find favor in the sight of God and man. So there's examples here of the odd verses of what you should do and the even verses of what God will do. But get this. This pattern of obedience and blessing does not mean you're trying to earn or merit God's favor or His blessing. Because what I'm going to argue is that this is an already established relationship that you have with God. So you obey in a relationship. Now let me just stop here. More than anything else, I want you to understand Proverbs. I want you to go home I would love for you just to be on your own at home and you can read through this passage and and you can get it. And you can get and understand so much of the book. But it's going to take a little bit of explaining the book. So I hope you're patient. I know you work hard and you think hard all week and you want to kind of turn your brain off and you want me to tell you a lot of silly stories that, that you would be entertained. No, we're not going to do that. I really want you to think. Don't check out. I want you to understand Proverbs. And so it's going to take a little bit of explaining. Do you hear what I just said? I said that these incentives are in the context of a relationship. The first context we see is the context of a father and his son. It's a father addressing his son in this text. Look at verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching. Look at verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. So the son receives these incentives... And these commands in the context of a a father-son relationship. It's a prior relationship. But a broader context of Proverbs is God addressing his people, Israel. He's not trying to get Israel to merit his favor because he's already blessed them. He's redeemed them out of Egypt, called them to himself. And in this prior redemptive relationship, now they obey Let's go even broader with our context of relationships. You, if you're a believer, you have been adopted by your father in the family through the Lord Jesus Christ. You are now children of God. God calls you a daughter or a son. And in this relationship, he gives you commands to obey and incentives for wanting to obey. In fact, the New Testament connects this Proverbs 3 passage in calling you a child. Verse 11 and 12 in this passage talk about the discipline of the Lord, and it's quoted in the book of Hebrews. But right before it is quoted in the book of Hebrews, it says this to intro it. Hebrews 12, 5. Let me read it to you. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Like, whoa, whoa, this is amazing. So, 
The New Testament is saying the Old Testament addresses you as children. That even in the Old Testament, God is addressing you as sons, daughters, children. And so it's a prior relationship. So whether we have the context of the Father, Son, and Proverbs, or the Father, God the Father, and Israel, or God our Father, and we are His children, they are all based on relationship. Why am I stressing this so much? It's because we're not talking about earning God's merit and favor. You already got it through Christ. But now that you're in this relationship, God gives you good reasons to obey. He gives you good, rational ideas and blessings and rewards if you obey. But the relationship came first. Are you with me? I hope so. So today, six incentives. Six good, rational reasons and blessings for obedience. Are you ready for those? Here we go. Odd verses, call for the obedience. Even verses are the incentives. So let's go. Incentive number one. I'll put these up for you. Obedience leads to life and peace. Look at verse one. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. All right? The, the son is exhorted, hey, keep my commandments. Not out of merit, not because you really have to. It's because keep them in your heart. Obey from the heart. We want to obey God in our motives and our actions from the heart, we want to obey Him. So if we obey God, here is the incentive He gives. Verse 2. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. So if you obey God's Word, you'll get a peaceful, long life. Now understand the original context is in the, under an Old Testament covenant, the Mosaic covenant, that if you obey, generally you will have a, a long life. And I think a lot of this can be applicable to us as New Testament Christians. But the question we need to ask is, is that always true? If you obey, you will have peace and a long life. Have you ever known a believer to die young? Yeah, yeah, we have. Does that mean they weren't obeying the Word of God? Hopefully you feel some of the tension here. So how do we understand this? Please think with me. We want to understand Proverbs. It says obey, you're going to get long life and peace. And yet we know people who die young. So how do we understand these Proverbs? I think it would go like this. We say that these Proverbs, that, that kind of say things like this, are generally true. That if you obey, generally it's going to go well with you and you're going to have a long life as opposed to not obeying where your life will not be peaceful but a mess and it could be cut short. So I could say, yes, this proverb, this promise generally holds true. But be careful on how you understand the word generally. Let me give you some tension. I hope you're tracking it. Let me give you some problems. If you say that Proverbs generally hold true, that if you obey, God will bless you, and that's generally the way it works, then what do you do about verses 5 and 6? Where it says, trust in the Lord. And if you trust in the Lord with all your heart, He will make your path straight. Should we say, that's generally true? Yeah, yeah it's generally true. If you trust God, yeah, chances are He's going to come through for you. That doesn't encourage me. Doesn't it 
encourage me to say, okay, I'm going to trust you, God. 85% chance you're going to come through, make my past trade. But there's this 15% outside chance it's not going to go so well. Does that encourage you to say they generally and that apply that in all situations? I say, no, no, that's not, that's not so helpful to apply it in every situation. So how do we understand these incentives? Here we go. This is the way I think you understand them. The book of Proverbs is a wisdom book. It is placed among other wisdom books. Uh, can you think of some other wisdom books in the Bible? Uh, how about Job and Ecclesiastes? You read Job and Ecclesiastes, those books talk about how things don't always go so well for believers, right? It's just sometimes an absolute mess. And when you read Proverbs, you want to ask Proverbs, excuse me, Proverbs, have you ever heard of Job and Ecclesiastes? And you act like Proverbs is naive. Not the case. There's this scholar, his name is Bruce Walkie. He says that there are actually counter-proverbs that qualify these promises. Which means there are other proverbs in Proverbs that help you understand these promises better. For example, Proverbs 16.8 says, Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. So the book of Proverbs actually acknowledges that it's not going to always go so great for the righteous. In fact, the righteous will at times have little while others are seem to be flourishing in this world. So there's an example that Proverbs at least acknowledges things don't always go so great for the righteous. So let's back to our original question. How do you understand these incentives? Not all of them, but most of them. So I think what we could say is that these incentives generally hold true in this life, but absolutely in the life to come. These incentives generally hold true in this life, but absolutely in the life to come. What I mean by that is Proverbs actually acknowledges that there is life beyond the grave for the believer and the unbeliever in the sense of destruction. For example, Proverbs 14.32 says, The wicked is overthrown through his evil doing, but the righteous finds refuge in his death. How does he find refuge in his death? Because it seems like life keeps going. Proverbs 24.19-20 Fret not yourself because of evildoers, and be not envious of the wicked, for the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. And the evil doers will be snuffed out. They will come to an end. So why do we start this conversation? Because obedience leads to long life and peace. That is generally true in this life, but absolutely true in eternal life. That's one way that we can start to understand and get our minds around some of these incentives and these problems generally true in this life. And a lot of them are absolutely true in the life to come. Hopefully that helps. Incentive number two. I'm done with long explanations. Let's kind of go through the incentive two. Clinging to love and faithfulness secures favor. Verse three. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. You've heard of these, you read the Old Testament, you see steadfast love and faithfulness all the time. It's a characteristic of God. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. So our God is just abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. But as we interact with him, are in a relationship with him, now he pours his steadfast love and faithfulness into us. And now this is what's supposed to happen. It's supposed to just spill out of us onto other people. 
That means in whatever context or situation that we are in, we want to be like, we want this steadfast love and faithfulness to be like the first responders, the first response in all of our circumstances. And if that's the case, look at the incentive. The incentive is in verse 4. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. So as you walk in faithfulness and love, you're going to find favor with God and even human beings. The grace will come to you from God and grace to come to you from uh, others. And the Apostle Paul explained it like this when he was talking about delivering a financial offering to the church in Jerusalem. In 2 Corinthians 8.21 he said, For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. So he said, we're going to act in such a way with love and faithfulness that it's going to reflect God's favor upon us and the favor of human beings who will act with such integrity. That's an incentive. That is the blessing or reward of the Lord. Incentive number three, the one you're most familiar with. Famous words in Proverbs, trust in the Lord and he will make your paths straight. Verse five, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. What does it mean to trust in the Lord? When you trust in the Lord, you're not relying upon your own resources. You're not relying upon your own competence, your own intelligence to figure out life and to pull it off. When you trust the Lord, you're all in. It's an all-in affair where you trust the Lord with all your heart. Now, I really want you to understand this. So I'm going to do something I don't usually do. I'm going to give an old-school story. You know when you see preachers preach... Oftentimes, some preachers are so good about telling really old stories. And when you hear these stories, you sometimes wonder, are those stories true? Or did you just find it in an illustration book that makes stuff up? So hopefully, the story I'm about to tell you is true, not made up, and the source is reliable. So let me explain to you, trusting in the Lord. Here we go. There's a story of a man, long time ago, because it's an old story. Long time ago, there is this man who was crossing the Susquehanna River in the northeast in the cold of winter. And the way that he's crossing the river on the ice is he is on all fours and he's crawling along because he doesn't know if the ice is going to break. So he's putting one hand in front of the other, seeing if the ice in front of him is going to crack and break. He's going to go to his doom. So he's very gentle on the river. While he's crawling on all fours, he hears a really loud noise in the back of him. He cannot understand what the loud noise is. So he looks back, and no joke, what he sees is a man in a wagon being pulled by four horses, booking it across the ice. It was a, a man who was, who was from around there, and that man knew the ice would hold. So he just flies right by this man crawling to see if the ice would crack. That is trusting the Lord with all your heart. But a lot of us, we're kind of like that man on all fours. We're, we're kind of tentative in trusting the Lord because we're wondering if he is going to hold. And he says, come on, complete abandonment, complete trust. Give me your absolute, all your trust. And just, just encourage you. I don't know what your situation is, but every single one of you has something unique you're dealing with, struggling with, and you're trying to figure it out. You're trying to reason and rational, and you're just almost like you're trying to project the future by your own understanding. 
the extent of your understanding is like a thimble. I've been telling my kids a story about it all week of a thimble. You know, a thimble you put on your finger so the needle doesn't hit you when you're sewing. I'm sure you sew all the time. But a thimble, you know what it is. So imagine you took a thimble and you went out to the lake and you dipped that thimble in the lake and you picked it up and you had that amount of water compared to the vast lake. That thimble with the water in it represents the extent of your understanding compared to God. The lake is God's understanding. That's the amount of understanding you have and that you know because you cannot see everything. You do not know everything. So why would you want to rely upon your understanding? The Bible actually tells us, do not lean on your own understanding. To lean on your own understanding is almost like the image of, you know, you've been on crutches. Well, if you have a busted crutch, and you lean on the busted crutch, it's going to kick out from underneath you, and you're going to go crashing down to the floor. You're not to lean on your own intellect, to lean on your own competence and resources to figure everything out, because that's what we want to do. We always want to figure everything out, but do not lean on your own understanding. Because you just, we always want to figure stuff out, and you say, okay, God, what am I supposed to do instead? Well, what does the text say? It says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. It means no matter what's going on, no matter the circumstances, you come to God and you say, okay, God, you're the Father, you're God, you're sovereign, you're in control, you have a plan, I don't know it, you know it, it's best, I acknowledge it. In every single circumstance, we acknowledge God. And you have the story right now where you need to acknowledge God. You have a situation where you need to acknowledge God. i got situations too. We all do. This past week, we were in juvenile court. And what we're trying to do while we're in juvenile court is we have a, a little uh, foster baby boy. We've had almost six months now. We love this little baby. And as we're in juvenile court, we agree with the state of Illinois that children or foster children, if possible, should most definitely go back to their families. So we agree with the state of Illinois. But if that's not possible or feasible, we would love to adopt this little boy. So you go to court. We're showing up to court. We're hoping things are going to be resolved. We get in court. Uh, at least a little bit of light shed on this. We get in court. And uh, the judge's like, you know, since we have NATO going on, we have a lot of security concerns, so we're going to reschedule. First thing I'm thinking is like, how long has NATO been scheduled? <laughs> this is NATO. Like, you know this. But that's just, that's just a little little glimpse of the drama and the unknown surrounding this whole, whole situation. And you take our emotions and you throw it on top of that, disaster. And, and God says, hey, 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 acknowledge me. I'm God. You're not. You don't see it all. You just have the symbol of understanding. I got it all. Trust me. Acknowledge me. I want all of you. I mean, if it was all so clear in your situation, then you would trust God with all your heart, right? But since it's not, it's not all clear, you've got to trust Him with everything because you just don't know. You just don't know. And what's the incentive? Did you see? The incentive is, and He will make straight your paths. That God and His divine directed for His glory will make your path straight 
and prosperous and he will lay it out the way he wants to lay it out. They will not be crooked, but straight. And you may be saying, God, I'm trusting you, but my path doesn't feel very straight. If this is what straight feels like, then I don't want to feel crooked. Because it doesn't feel like my path is prosperous and straight, that you're in, you're in control. And, and here's the problem. The problem is, is that you're a human being and all you see is ground level. And God sees from above and he's saying he's making your path straight and prosperous for his, for his glory and for your good. He's doing it. He sees up here. It's like I was at a Bears football game once and uh, we actually got some tickets from a guy who used to play on the opposing team. Not the Bears, but the team they were playing that day. And if you ever get tickets, free tickets, from the opposing team, the Bears want to make sure that you do not sit anywhere close to the field. They gave us tickets. I've never been up so high at a sporting event. We were so up high at Soldier Field, sitting up there watching down on the game. But if you sit up high, you can look down at the game, and you can say, those players don't know what they're doing. There's huge gaps you can run through. Open passes, pass the ball. They're wide open because from up top, you just seeing how all should play out. God's got this view up here. We don't. We gotta trust Him. He said, "Come on, trust me. I see it all. I'm making it straight. Trust me. Acknowledge me. Give me your whole heart. I'm making your pastor." Incentive number four. Repentance brings refreshment. Verse seven. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. The idea here is pride. Where we're wise in our own eyes. This is the person who thinks that their opinion is the only one that counts and they can't possibly be wrong. Is there anybody in here like that? Where you think you're just so right. There's just no way you can be wrong at all. It's pride. In order to combat pride, he uses language of repentance, of fearing the Lord, turning from evil. And as you fear the Lord and turn from evil, you'll be refreshed. Repentance leads to refreshment. Verse 8, you'll be healing to your flesh and and refreshment to your bones. Have you ever been in sin and then you repent and, and you know you're forgiven spiritually, but man, you just oh, you start to feel good. It's almost like you feel light. It's like there's a life about you, you know, and it's like your body almost feels refreshed and you're emotionally feeling much better. Because when you're in sin, I don't know, just like you can't sleep very well sometimes. If you're a believer, because God's convicting you. Maybe it starts affecting your body. You start getting sick. and Maybe things are just going wrong with you emotionally, physically. Because you know you're in sin. And you can even see it on other people when they're in sin. But you can also see the fruit of repentance. They're forgiven spiritually, absolutely. But there's this life and this refreshment that comes spiritually. And the Lord is saying to some of you here this morning, come on now. you got to repent. Whatever you're into is tearing you apart. And there is forgiveness and refreshment and repentance. Incentive five.
Giving leads to provision. Verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And then when you honor someone, you want to lift them up is important. And the way we honor the Lord is, in, is that we give. We give to him first the best of our income. The first fruits refers to the best of the crops. You could even apply the best of the animals. And this gift was given to the temple. It was given to the poor. And as we make uh, income each month, we want to give the best and first to the Lord, to the church, to the ministries that promote the gospel and care for the poor. And as we give to the Lord, what's the incentive? Look at verse 10. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. (laughs) This verse has been so misinterpreted and misapplied throughout years, especially right now. Uh, It's very predominant in these churches called the health and wealth gospel that if you give God 10, he's going to give you 100. And maybe some of you have grown up in these churches where that's all you've heard. But I want you to know, this is not a personal, self-focused investment idea. This is a God-focused investment idea. Because as you give to God, It's generally true that he's going to give back to you. But it's not so you can be rolling. It's so that you can give back to him again. This past week I got to speak with a guy who's passionate about the Old Testament. And he's passionate about economics and putting the two together. And I sat down with him and I asked him. Because I I want to make sure I wasn't going to be wrong this morning. And I said, is it taught in the Old Testament that when you get income. It's not so that you can be this rich, rich person. But is it true that as you get income, it's actually for the community? Oh, yeah, that's that's what's going on. That's what's going on in the Old Testament. And we know that's what's going on in the New Testament. For the Apostle Paul put it like this in 2 Corinthians 9-11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. So the idea is as you give... God gives back to you and so that you can give more. He'll give back to you so that you can give more. It's not so that you can just keep living this life of fame and luxury. But what happens if you get saved and, or you become rich as a Christian? Well, what are you going to do if, if you're rich? Well, the Bible put it like this in, in 1 Timothy 6.18. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6.18. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So as we have money, we give. God gives it back. We give again. Gives it back, we give again. And that's the process we want. Incentive number six. Submit to the Lord's discipline and find satisfaction in God's love. Verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Now, as we look at these commands, there are times where we don't obey them. There's times where we stray. And when we stray, the Lord brings corrective discipline in. Sometimes that's through his word, correcting us in the commands. Sometimes it's through sickness. Sometimes it's through the opposition of others. Sometimes it's through very difficult circumstances. And as these, these hard times come, it's, you're supposed to say, that's good for me. King David Put it like this in Psalm 36 through 8. As for me, I said of my prosperity, 
I shall never be moved by your favor, O Lord. You made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. So David, he thought he was a man. He thought he created all that he had, all his power and wealth. He said, I shall not be moved. And then God's like, okay, you feel that way? I'm going to turn my face away from you. And then he was dismayed. He was discouraged. And God did that for his good. It is for your good that God in his sovereignty will at times bring his disciplined hand of suffering. So that you can say, okay, God, I'm not always right. It's not always true. I, I submit to you. And that's the, that's the posture we are to have. We are to submit to the love of our Father that he has for us. Because it is love. Verse 12. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. God has his best in mind for you when he disciplines you. He loves you when he brings suffering in your life. He's conforming you to the image of Christ. He's making you cling to him. But when suffering comes in your life and you're full of complaining, you're full of griping, you can't wait to tell people that you know how terrible your life is, then you are missing the point. You are saying that what is happening to you is so terrible that God has nothing to do with it. And C.S. Lewis put it like this. He says, When we complain of our sufferings, we are not asking for more love, but for less. I know when you're going through stuff, it's hard. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but what it's doing is producing this harvest of righteousness in your life and conforming you to the image of Christ. Now, as we just went through this, as I said, our our pilot series is Preaching Christ in Proverbs. But we just went through 12 verses. And did you see Jesus in there? I mean, Preaching Christ in Proverbs, we're not doing like, where's Waldo? It's like, ah, where is he? I just didn't see him in there. When we're talking about Preaching Christ in Proverbs, we're talking about we want to understand the Bible in light of the coming of Jesus Christ. And since Jesus has come, you know what we know? We know from the Bible that Jesus is the faithful son. We know that he is the perfect and obedient son that totally pleased the father. In fact, it is said of him from the father in Matthew 3, 17. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So we're the sons and daughters and children who fail, but Jesus is the faithful son who always obeyed. He's full of truth, grace, steadfast love, and faithfulness. And get this, through faith in him, we get the full blessings of his obedient life. So what I'm trying to say is this, preaching across the heart, what I'm trying to say is this is what we want to do, okay? We want to take these six incentives, run them through Christ, and then bring them to us. And I believe if we take these incentives, bring them through Christ, in some sense it's going to supercharge the incentives and application so we can have the full experience and blessings of Christ's obedient life. Let me explain what I'm talking about. This is the way we're going to end. We're going to look at the six incentives really fast here at the end. And we're going to show how they run through Christ, supercharge, come to our lives, and just come alive. That's the way we want you to understand the Proverbs. So incentive number one, obedience leads to life and peace. Long life and peace, right? Well, Jesus 
obey perfectly. Can you think of someone who obeyed God more perfectly than Jesus? I can't. No, absolutely perfect. So, what happened to the promise of long life? He died young. His life was cut short. But because of his obedience and his life being cut short, all of us who put our faith in Jesus will now live forever at peace with our Father. Incentive number two. Clinging to love and faithfulness secures favor. You know what was said of Jesus in Luke 2.52? And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Favor with God and man, and yet what happened? Man turned against them, put him on the cross, and what did the Father do? The Father poured out his wrath on him. And yet, it's for our full benefit that now we get the favor of God because of Christ's work, and we get our brothers and sisters' favor where we live out steadfast love and faithfulness. Amazing. How about the third incentive? Trust in the Lord, and he will make your path straight. And yet the picture I see is Jesus, and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's, and he's saying, God, is there another way? But he doesn't lean on his own understanding. He says, not my will, but yours be done. And because of his trust in the Lord, what do we have? We have a straight path straight to the Father through faith. Incentive four. Repentance brings refreshment. Jesus' message consistently in his life was one of repentance. He started that way and he continued that way talking about repentance. Matthew 4, 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But he's not just a prophet saying, repent, 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 repent. He's like, repent, and then I will give you refreshment. Forgiveness. Incentive five. Giving leads to provision. It was said of Jesus by Paul in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Think about Jesus. Rich in heaven. He has it all. Gives it up. Comes to this earth. A life of poverty and suffering. Dies on the cross for you so that you can become rich in him. And now out of the riches in Christ, we let the generosity just overflow. And the last incentive six. Submit to the Lord's discipline and find satisfaction in God's love. And you think, well, I don't remember Jesus being disciplined in order to be obedient because he never did anything wrong. And I would say that's absolutely right. I don't think you can speak of Jesus being disciplined in order to do what is right. However, the Bible does say that he suffered in order to learn obedience. Hebrews chapter 5, 8 says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. He learned obedience as he suffered through trials and temptation. And as he's passing through these trials and temptations, he, he didn't sin. And as one who didn't sin, as you pass through trials and temptations and you struggle with sin, we can now look to him, the faithful son, who understands what we're going through. 
Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So now as we suffer and under God's discipline, we don't despise it, but we look to Jesus who can sympathize with us and have compassion on us and our weakness. It's kind of how I want you to understand the Bible. See these Proverbs, like, okay, when you read a Proverb, think, okay, is that, what about Christ? Why did he come? What does that do for me? And, and almost like run the Proverbs through Christ and, and to you and just makes it come alive and expands it of all the, the benefits and rewards that we have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have saved us and you called us into a relationship where we get to obey, not because we have to, it's because we want to. Cannot believe that we have a relationship with you through Jesus. And we look to the perfect Son who gives us life forever, gives us a path to the Father, refreshes us in our repentance, who's given us provision in himself. And I just ask, Lord, if if there's areas in our life that we are just off, we're not bringing you glory, we're not seeking you, we're not trusting you, we're not acknowledging you, that you bring us to dependence this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.